Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On tonight's show, I have a returning guest, a very special guest. We've done many shows. We actually go back 10 years. I did an interview with him, Prophet of Evil, 10 years ago. He goes by J.J. or Valibus. And about a month ago, we talked about a uh, interesting science, so-called science fiction short by Arthur C. Clarke titled The Sentinel. So you can check that out. And next month, we are going to cover an Isaac Asimov book, the first of the Foundation series of The Foundation. So if anybody wants to read along with that or is curious about that book and uh, wants to join a discussion of that, that would be great. But tonight we're going to talk about something we chatted about a little bit, which is the fake moon landing, something that I really didn't believe could be faked. Uh, but I've done some reading. I've, I reread Dave McGowan's, the great Dave McGowan's Wagging the Moon Doggy, which you can see on uh, Vimeo right now. I will put the link up to Wagging the Moon Doggy, which is a 14-part series at the reformed Dave McGowan website, the Center for an Informed America. So I highly recommend people go check that out. And also... Uh, Massimo Mazzucco's very long, three and a half hour, very thorough documentary titled American Moon. So I highly recommend people check that out. But Valibus is also going to talk about the background that led up to the moon landings in uh, the Apollo 11. Very strange number as well. But uh, JJ can talk more about that. So JJ, are you there? Well, Mr. William Ramsey, I'm right here. I appreciate the invite and uh, great talking to you again here today. Yeah, it's always worthwhile for me, so I'm really delighted that you agreed to the interview. For people who may not know your background, can you talk about kind of your knowledge and some of the background about the moon landings and the occultism and just the strange, high strangeness involved in what happened uh, sure. leading up to Apollo 11? Yeah, absolutely. And and, I, and it kind of, it to the audience, it may seem like this is a different thread of, of discussion than, you know, being Arthur C. Clarke or Isaac Asimov. You know, or the rest of the little science fiction Thelmite science fiction writers club, but it's the same. It's the same conversation because those same science fiction writers did the the play by play on the on the broadcast live TV of the Apollo Eleven moon mission. Right. So, what what qualifications they had, I'm not sure, other than writing fictional stories about space. But they were the ones that were chosen to be the uh, the with Walter Cronkite on the TV doing a live play by play of the right. Apollo Eleven. You know, launch. Walter Cronkite, who was the voice uh, for the cremation of care at the Bohemian Grove, right? That Walter Cronkite. Exactly, exactly the same Walter Cronkite, right? So, and, and there's an interesting occult background, I think, around all of these things. You know, before 
the Apollo missions, obviously proceeding and building up to it, and even since then. And uh, and I and I and I've had to really reanalyze my my look on space in recent years. And in large part, it was Dave McGowan's wagging the moon doggy that, that caused me to do that. Because I have a family that's deeply ingrained in, in NASA. Gotcha. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So um, my grandfather, at least, man, I going to be my grandfather, but it's definitely of, of relations to me, according to a recent uh, DNA test that I had to do and find out that my family is not my necessarily my family that I thought they were. But that man was a, a NASA engineer for, for many years. I mean, one of the original... Um, engineers, uh, one of the contractors, one of the primary contractors for NASA. So he, he worked a lot of NASA projects. He's credited with the um, fixing the Hubble telescope, whatever that means. I guess the Hubble telescope had a lot of problems in the 1970s. And as a result they, of that, they it, just fixed it again, right? Did he, I don't know if you watched I got it stalled and yeah. he got brought into the project to be the Mr. Fix-It engineer. Yep. Yeah, they well, I think they, they have to do that ever since then because they have to, they have, to have an excuse to dedicate money. You know, so right. I, I don't know. I don't exactly know what that means to, to have the uh, the nod of, you know, the the um, the accomplishment of fixing the Hubble telescope. But that is of my immediate family, and also the man I grew up to be knowing as my uncle, who's apparently really my father. He was a director of um, NASA's security at the Ames Research Center. Gotcha. So you uh, definitely have Silicon that Valley, right now. California. Yeah. And uh, I didn't know him. He he died. He passed before I was born. Gotcha. Yeah, so I mean, I was raised in a family that obviously space is real, you know. So when I when I discovered things like uh, wagging the moon dog, it was quite an eye opening experience for me. Yeah, and he actually writes in wagging the moon doggy that he was taking a break from writing weird scenes, and so it was kind of a distraction for him. He had writer's block, but uh, it is interesting because one of the interesting things that McGowan did is juxtapose the moon landing that happened, I think, in June. 1969, with the real high weirdness of that era. I think the Manson murders were one, one month later. And so he, he's, he, no, you're right. Yeah. And so he, yeah, yeah he, so he went through the whole chronology. Right. And so he really, Absolutely. right. So he had, I think he showed that this was a very important public event to raise spirits during Vietnam War and all this stuff. So it was very, um, it was a very, important element in kind of public relations and lifting people's spirits to have this event happen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and Dave McGowan was spot on with, Oh, I apologize. I didn't mean to, to interrupt you there. But yeah, I, I totally agree. The um, David McGowan even includes sources for all these items and he does juxtapose it with the chronology of the events that were taking place. So yesterday was July 16th, 52 years ago from yesterday was the Apollo 11 moon launch. Now, the um, but the, obviously there was a number of years building up to the eleven, the Apollo eleven moon mission, the first landing on the moon, alleged landing on the moon, and the, and all of those missions preceding it were just complete and utter failures. Right, and the I mean, they should, of, it, I mean yeah. watching some of the videos that are still available, even I think on NASA's website, is laughable. Right, and oh, they sent. I mean, this right, and the supposed Apollo eleven had the most rickety joke level technical stuff and they were just going to wing it because all the other ones were failure so you're right it's like it's very shocking that they would take this massive risk to supposedly send these people to and they actually show in mizuko's film american moon 
they show how the Russians really thought they were going to try to get to the moon and failed over and over again. There are all these explosions. So the U.S. was really washing the Russians, and the Russians just gave up. They didn't continue, but something happened with the Amer- on the way to the moon with the Americans that was much different. Sure. And I, and I think, again, back to Dave McGowan's work, when he when he's uh, showing how that some of these moon missions were taking place in distraction of things like the Malay massacre in Vietnam, you know, I think that's a good that's a good indicator of of the next concept I want to introduce, and that is there's not a lot of these things aren't one are are not different conspiracies. It's the same conspiracy. They just keep trying to clean up each mess in each subsequent mess after that. For example, the reason the Apollo program existed in the first place is because JFK decided he needed to make a speech and enforce that situation. Right. So he really committed to it, right? So he Oh, a he, decade in advance, basically. Right. Yeah. But so they couldn't really have fail. They couldn't fail because it would be a diminution of the American yep. system, really. So they put a lot Absolutely. of risk. In, and it was really, yeah, it was really Kennedy who wisely or unwisely, and there's that famous speech, we will be in the moon by the end of the decade, right? So they put all that money in there. They definitely uh, were spending the money to do it. It's really incredible. And I, I want to just quote this one thing from the intro to McGowan Center for an Informed America. It's from Warner Von Braun, right? The paper clipped. Literal Nazi. I forgot if he was a colonel, but he definitely had. Uh, he was a member of the mil- Nazi military. Major. Yeah, major. He was a major. Yep. SS. And, what, and right. So he was an SS guy, and I think the place was called Penamunde, and they literally had right. slaves that were murdered. So people were like, it was a slave camp. People were getting dead, like literally where he was going. And I think he infamously stated in very dry terms, uh, I shot for the moon and hit London, right? German humor. Sure, absolutely. So, but here's here's a quote from, from and this is from a book called and, Conquest uh, of every the Moon. Every day they would kill the uh, slowest people from the day before. Yeah, no, it was bad. So he he definitely got washed of, of a lot of criminality. And there were a lot of Nazi scientists in, in the whole rocket program. It wasn't just him. But I want to just quote this if I can. It's uh, This is from Werner von Braun, follower of the Apollo space program from McGowan's work, Weighing the Moon Doggy. Quote, it is commonly believed that man will fly directly from the Earth to the moon, but to do this, we would require a vehicle of such gigantic proportions that would prove an economic impossibility. It would have to develop a sufficient speed to penetrate the atmosphere and overcome the Earth's gravity, and having traveled all the way to the moon, it must still have enough fuel to land safely and make the return trip to Earth. Furthermore, in order to give the expedition a margin of safety, we would not use one ship alone, but a minimum of three. Each rocket ship would be taller than the New York Empire, New York's Empire State Building and weigh about 10 times the tonnage of the Queen Mary or some 800,000 tons. Wow. So, so basically impossible is what he's trying to say there. <laughs> right. And, uh, and I mean, the year of that quote was what, man? I don't know when the conquest of the moon was done, but it probably was before. Maybe? Yeah. Probably, and an interesting kind of aside. I've actually looked through. It was, it was definitely the collection, mid fifties. Mid fifties. Yeah, that makes sense. I've looked through Warner von Braun's um, documents and a lot of his calculations. On the guy was a genius. I mean, they were doing heavy duty calculus without computers or any any kind of uh, computational device to do the moon rocket stuff before the sixties. I mean, it's off the charts what they how sure. smart Werner von Braun was. So, but anyway, that was, I mean, there's all kinds of information in both 
Wagging the Moon Doggy and American Moon that would be so, worthwhile to people because I'm totally convinced it's totally fake. But if I, I can, was, if I can frame the Apollo missions, the Apollo, the, the fake Apollo. Oh, I agree. It was hard for me to reach that conclusion as well because, again, not my upbringing at all, etc. And again, it's they did such a great job with the propaganda involved that it's hard it's hard to reach that conclusion. But 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 people have been questioning since the '60s, since it occurred. This is immediately after its occurrence, maybe 1971 or 72, I think was the first kind of they fake the moon landing, you know, book. But the um, in relative to to the Nazis and, and Warner Ron Braun's statement that you just you just quoted, you know, he makes that statement. Kennedy then commits the Nazis to landing on the moon. When I say the Nazis, that is NASA. I mean, NASA is comprised of overwhelmingly Nazis, especially at that time. So much so that the director, I believe it was. The Johnson Space Center there in Houston during the Apollo time of the 1960s, he, he came to work in his SS officer's uniform. They had wow. no problem with that. It, and uh, and it's this, these are the same people that Kennedy was already combating in a sense because some of the people, as you stated, that whitewashed the Project Paperclip Nazis and that whole program, that's the Dulles brothers, Alan Dulles and uh, uh, James Foster Dulles there. John Foster, yeah. John, yeah, John Foster Dole. So, you know, those guys are the same ones that Kennedy's firing from, you know, they're the one they they're trying to they're trying to stoke Vietnam War in 1952, right. 1953. Right. You know, so and he's the same they're the same ones he's firing from the CIA, you know, leadership in in 62. So, these are obviously people that are that are opposed to Kennedy in, in some form or fashion. Right. So, Kennedy dies November 22nd, 63. Vietnam takes off. And right in, right in kind of uh, the same parameters or the same January kind of path of 64. Lyndon Johnson right. signs the order, yeah. sends, I think, two main troops. Yep. Yeah. And, and on top of that, this everyone involved in the Kennedy assassination is is intertwined with these ancient alien cultist people. These, uh, no different than the, I don't know if these people were thelemites, but they're of the same milieu, they're the same ilk. You know, the um, if you're familiar with the story of the nine. In the, se- in the seance with the uh, U.S. Army weapons captain trying to weaponize, the- he wrote a paper trying to weaponize ESP and stuff like that in the 1950s, uh, maybe 1950, we'll call it 1954. So, so in nine years later, there's the same people that are in that seance are all surrounded in the JFK assassination to the point where all the evidence produced for Lee Harvey Oswald comes from that group. That same group also got Lee Harvey Oswald the job at the depository, the book depository. Right. It was a, was a piece or something. I forgot the husband and wife team. And then you have Vaughn. I mean, you have uh, all just all these crazy, crazy. It characters. was, um, it was uh, Arthur Young and, and uh, Arthur Young was daughter. And that's where Marina Oswald was staying. I believe that was the man's name. He, um, he's, he's big in um, aer- the aerospace industry. Believe the inventor of the bell helicopter if i'm not mistaken right. and uh, Puherick, his right? daughter Puherick. was housing yeah. uh Puherick was the army captain correct yep and so that's the guy who also goes to start stanford research institute which is d- deeply involved with scientologists right so you know th- these are the same groups they're not different stories they're not like separate stories they're the same people doing the same things you know and in the 1960s they were they were heavily focused on on selling everybody the apollo moon missions but the People that Kennedy had put on put on the clock to go to the moon are the same people that, that killed Kennedy, essentially. 
I mean, that's how yeah. that's all the you know the record states at least. Because again, the every right. Oswald I mean, wouldn't have had the job, nor would he have the evidence submitted. You know, the false evidence submitted, the doctored evidence of the fake photographs and stuff like that. Oh well, you know, I have these photo. You know, she's like, oh, she told the Dallas police. This is how the story goes. I can't recall her name. She uh, she later testified in, in the Warren Commission and in, in a uh, NBC fake uh, you know court hearing against Oswald. Right. So like it's when, just when incredible that's right. it all intertwines, yes. right? So you it's know these people they they don't relent. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it, incredible it, it that they stop. keep it. It goes on for years, for so years, years, and seems. To... Yeah, I think it speaks to yeah. I think it speaks to a lot of the propaganda and the, and the quote unquote magic, because they'll they'll all say that they're magicians, correct? Yeah. All these these th thelemites type of uh, cultist people. I'm pretty yeah. sure weren't the three weren't the three guys the astronauts Armstrong and what were the three uh, Armstrong Aldrin and Collins wasn't one or two of those Masons? My memory oh, serves me correct. I believe they're all they all were they all were Masons, right? I believe they all were, yeah. And but if you look at all the 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 Nazi guys involved, including Werner von Braun, the the other SS officers involved, you know the, they're all you know the Thule Society. That's some that's some strange belief systems. Right, so and they're they're, they're again they're going to call themselves magicians as well. Right, they're Atlanteans. That's what the whole Thule goes back to. Right. Um, yeah, so it's incredible. And I think what's also interesting, I mean, there's so many points that Mizuko makes in his film, but one of the interesting things is how the three so-called astronauts on a on really an apocal mission, the first human being to reach the moon, how miserable they all were and how fake they were. They're just off the, off the charts. Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, it's kind of like watching something from the 1970s or 1980s now when it was broadcast or filmed then versus what we have for crisp HD 1080p pictures on our current broadcast of TV or media. And you can compare to it and you can see, well, that looks totally different. But at the time, it looked, it looked good. It looked, it looked real. It looked like a good picture. And that's so different with the moon landings. At the time, they sold it good. They, they did a really good job selling it. Just, in, you know, ever since then, I'm not sure what their plan was, you know, years down the road, but obviously that was not going to look good, you know, today when we can, you know, folks can analyze every video clip and see how fake it looks from not only the parts and pieces that they're using, but the storyline in which they claim to have, you know, accomplished. Right. So at some point during that whole moon mission, they realized they couldn't get it and then everything changed. They took that same amount of money to perfect the the stage show right so something Correct. happened yeah so that was really it so they i think mcgowan says that werner von braun and i don't strangely, think I don't, if you agree with me i don't think they wanted to do it right that's i guess i'm long-winded my long-winded point is they they didn't want to do it they right? didn't want to fake JFK it? put them up to it oh no i'm saying they didn't want to be involved in the apollo missions at all that was not what the nazis and nasa had planned at the time oh, right because they got you know it seems to me that they were put up to the task by kennedy Right, and but as what, result, what would Kennedy's point be? Didn't you think that he really wanted to uh, achieve that great feat? No, I, I don't suspect that was probably his goal, no. So what do you think it was? Uh, it seems to be some sort of, uh, you know, occulted war between, you know, different factions. Cool. That's interesting. So why didn't they just be, say they couldn't make uh, it and just, you know, like, give up? Adamantly opposed. They don't, you know, well... Nazis are the least of which people to, to want to lose face like that, lose respect like that in, in light of the general public, especially in society. So I think that was in large part what it was because 
I think at one point in time, they probably were trying to accomplish something. But again, if you look look at the early rocket launches they have out of El Paso, Texas, and stuff, they literally bombed in Mexico. I mean, they were they weren't they weren't accomplishing anything. Right. So, I mean, the other the other incredible you know, thing once is they that came to that failure, then, then as I see it, they went and they they found a filmmaker. Right. So, they, go ahead. They definitely found a filmmaker. They did probably got insights from the concurrent making of 2001: A Space Odyssey, which came out the same year which a lot of people overlook in the entire uh, moon is a hoax thing. And nobody mentions 2001, but it's a really important piece of the puzzle because. Oh, absolutely. They were in contact. They called um, uh, Kubrick studio, NASA East. And there's pictures of Kubrick, Clark and Muller, who was like a big, big wig at NASA all together hanging out. I mean, it should, it's very telling like, what is this yeah. creative person doing with a guy from NASA? Why are they hanging out together? And all those things. Right. He was no. alone, heavy duty, really high tech. Uh, and, and Kubrick knew how to use it. High tech instrumentation and uh, lenses and things like that for his cameras that really nobody had ever seen to up to that time. Oh, I mean, it was, yeah, it was bun- filmmaking you know breakthroughs he was doing and and with the new cameras that nasa bought him that he could have never afforded you know that's on record they bought him a camera that's on record as you stated that they're visiting his studio in the months preceding apollo 11 launches you know the apollo 11 launch that they should be focused on that assumingly right they shouldn't be at some filmmaker studio in london england and then on top of that you know warner von braun at the same time is taking trips to antarctica right so are they really right and the point of antarctica trip is that's where all the moon rocks are from the repeated comet hits to the moon, they end up down there. So then they can fake it. So they have actual moon rocks. And some of the the Dutch, the moon rock is fake. There's so many problems with the story that it's just falling apart. Even oh, MythBusters, they, that's one of my favorite. Zoo- that's one of my favorite stories of the Dutch moon rock. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, if they're really like, serious about going to the moon, why are they visiting Stanley Kubrick Studio in London in the preceding months? Why you know why are they buying him a camera? Why is is uh, von Braun in, in Antarctica? And you're you're spot on with your analysis with 2001: A Space Odyssey. It is overlooked. I mean, it it pulls it all together. And, I mean, because this would honestly, if you remember, because... if you remember, JJ, the most important part of 2001 is them going to the dark side of the moon to find the Sentinel Obelisk. Uh, you know, whatever Ashlar. <laughs> so that's really crucial. So they're faking. The moon at the same time NASA's faking the moon. Correct, and I think one of the other big takeaways from 2001 is this: you th- they implanted in everyone's mind that astronauts move very strangely in space by a very slow movement and a very kind of bouncy movement, but but they're they're not weightless. Like they're you know what I mean? There's a, clearly there, there seems to be so involved in what we're watching there but without the idea implanted in 2001 the space odyssey that this is how people move in space when nasa did it you know within you know the following year there you know everyone already thought that's how people move in space no one's going to question why are these apollo astronauts for the next few years are doing these films on the you know what six or seven landings on the moon you know they do the films where they're all kind of just jumping around i think i think they played golf right i think they played golf on one of the later missions you know but the idea of how these people, the, the physics of how they move on the moon was implanted in 2001 in space odyssey. Right. Like, so they're, so they're moving them together in tandem to influence people's mind. And uh, Mazuka does a really good job of showing these guys moving in ways that 
aren't plausible unless they're tied up to some kind of uh, rig or something like that. Um, they, they, they fall over. Oh, yeah, That's just absolutely. ridiculous. And the, the way that the, the dust moved was improbable, too. I mean, there's supposed to be no water on the moon, but it moves in ways that has to congeal with some type of some type of liquid. I think it's just all kinds of problems. Now, somebody asked in the chat why the Soviets wouldn't expose it. Mazuko goes into that in American Moon. He says that there were other arrangements going on with the Russians and the U.S. And so if they would have come out and say everything you've done is fake, those arrangements would be curtailed or, or strained. So this kind of detente that was trying to take place after in the 60s would have been risked by the Russians or the Soviets really exposing uh, the problems with the American. Sure, that could have been a factor. I look at it like this, though. They're the same group. Right. Oh, I didn't mean to walk on you there. We had a delay. No, uh, okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. That could be a factor. But I, I, I look at it like this. It's the same group. We can call them the Soviet moon missions versus the U.S. moon missions. It's the same Nazis. Some Nazis went to the Soviets. Some Nazis went to the U.S. And no one in the U.S. was monitoring their communications, believe it or not, according to FBI documents um, available on the FBI vault that says that no one that these Nazis in El Paso, for example, were allowed to roam off base and you know communicate with whomever they wanted to unabated. So these are the Project Paperclip Nazis, which I've been I've been getting more more interested in because when I did a DNA test, I had a cousin contact me saying, "How are we related?" And I said, "I have no idea." And her father is extremely German. I'm, to the best of my knowledge, not German at all. And that man came here via Project Paperclip with his father, a Nazi scientist. So I don't know. That's still a big question mark. But I had a cousin write me, and she's just as confused as I am. Um, but yeah, so th these these Project Paperclip folks. I've been forced to look more into that program since then and learning that information. Then they, yeah, they they were allowed to do whatever they wanted to. And, and they're, they're, they're writing their friends in, in the Soviet union. I mean, that's on record. And, and, and again, right. it's often sold to the general public as two different groups, but most people don't know that the U S missions um, with the Soviets to space started in 19, I think 72, 73. And they go on today. We don't launch things, manned missions from the U.S. anymore. We haven't in over 40 years. They all launched from Russia. Right. Including, uh, to, my, to the best of my knowledge, the International Space Station missions. If the well, do you know that it's never been recorded? The space Station, they launched yeah. from Russia. Other than, other so, than, I think, Hubble, which is 400 it, miles above the Earth, no other nation has passed beyond that barrier other than supposed moon landing. So in all right. this time, 50 years, that's never happened. And they never explained the Van Allen belts, which were recently discovered, uh, I think in the fifties or sixties and how, I mean, the radiation would have destroyed film. It would have destroyed all kinds of stuff. And that Absolutely. really rickety supposed uh, landing moon lander is, is actually a joke. If you really look at it. And I think that that McGowan makes a hysterical point because like, when they just brought out this rover that could not have fit in there. Like, where's the gas? Where's the engine? There's all kinds of uh, structural problems and all that stuff has disappeared. So all that, all of that information on this, this most epochal event is all gone. The designs are right. destroyed too. And you know what their excuse was? It was too big to store. So right. that's a joke because if you know anybody in a librarian, that's never stopped them from, 
in any library, there would have been something at the Smithsonian who would have taken all that information. So they had really bogus no, I, uh, yeah, excuses that's for why they don't have I can tell you first-hand experience, that's a ridiculous story. Yeah. I, I, so the I'm radiation sorry, I, yeah. I, We just keep walking on each other. I apologize there. Yeah, it, all their stories are ridiculous. If you look at anything they say, NASA says, if you try to question the Van Allen radio, the radiation belt or the distances or anything else like that, or the fuel that was going to be required to go to the moon, et cetera, they just start, their answer is, well, you start putting things under microscopes, nothing is going to make sense. You know, essentially that's what they, that's their position, you know, and in, in recent years, they've actually produced actual video clips on YouTube saying, if we want to go back to the moon, we got to build a new, you know, everything, everything right. from scratch. Why, why in the world would you have to do that? Right. And all of the electronics were basically less powerful than your standard phone. So, I mean, they, they, there's all kinds of problems. Yeah, How they NASA saves out. everything because they, they like to say they don't, but I uh, I can assure you they do. I was involved in a private company working security for them, and uh, and uh, they were attempting to build a um, – an automobile with a uh, Sterling engine. It's an old, old technology, but in the early 1980s, actually 1978, Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter assigned to NASA. He said, NASA, you're not going to space anymore. Then you guys need to go uh, solve the, the fuel crisis. You know, back when everyone was lining up to get fuel, there was a fuel crisis of the 1970s. Right. So Jimmy Carter slew was build better automobiles to get better fuel mileage. So he sent NASA on that task. They actually did. They built a 100-mile-per-gallon automobile that runs on regular fuel on, a, on an old, old 200-year-old technology called a Sterling engine. And then and then it was buried in a NASA warehouse for nearly 25 years. And I was in, in, that, in that position of security of that organization that failed in their endeavors to pr bring it to market. We actually had to finally get the engine out of the warehouse. But for years, NASA claimed we don't have that engine. The, you know, the original engine from the right. original. Oh, there's been massive cover-ups in the auto industry. They have a carburetor, high-end high It turns end out they did, you know, just. I mean, it's just it, the whole thing. When oh, you really yeah, look at it, some, I mean, one, of the, one of the interesting things that Mizuko does at the end of his documentaries, he gets these other modern uh, photographers and people, cinematographers, to look at the lighting, and they're just like, hey, that's a serial movie light. I know that. I know where that lighting's coming from. There's two kinds of shadow here. This light is just off the screen. It's coming from right. the opposite of the sun. There shouldn't be any light on the other side of the lander. Like you only have sun or light coming from one direction, but somehow there's this, you know, mystery light coming from somewhere else. So once you really start analyzing it, it's fake, baby. It's totally fake. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that American Moon documentary does, and so does Megan the Wagging the Moon Doggy, does do a good job at, at analyzing some of those very technical aspects of the lighting and everything else as well, because I, I don't think they, they, they thought about it. That's what I'm saying. It was such an ad hoc mission to make this thing happen because of the clock they were put on by Kennedy, et cetera, and whatever else was going on outside the public purview in that situation, that they had to do this. And the manner in which they did it was was ad hoc. It wasn't it wasn't expecting, you know. They, they didn't have time. They didn't have the ability to think. Well, what are they going? What is going to happen in thirty years? And what's going to happen in thirty years when people can analyze this better on better you know video technology, et cetera? And then I think that's why it's so messed up because people people often wonder and ask, 
uh, at least in conversations I've had on the subject. Well, why do they do it so sloppy? Well, I mean, they, they did it the best of their ability given their time and factors they had factors they had available. That's, that's yeah, once they committed it. to it, right. And I also kind of see the death of what was the guy's name and they died in the uh, compartment probably as kind of a cover-up because it's oh, just fake. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Gus Grissom. Gus Grissom, thanks, yeah. Yep, there's an Air Force base named after him in Indiana, Grissom Air Force Base. And those guys, I think they showed in Mazuko's movie, there was a uh, guy named Bart Sibrel who confronted Armstrong, Aldrin, and Collins and said, can you swear on a Bible that you went to the moon? And none, no three of them would take it. They couldn't put their hand on it and say, we went to the moon. I mean, it's incredible. Like, they just couldn't even say that. Right. For one reason or another. Not only could they not do that. Yeah, not only that, Aldrin punches them out, doesn't he? Doesn't yes, they the show him eventually. just knocking them. So it's interesting with Armstrong, though, because Armstrong took a different approach in life. You see Buzz Aldrin kind of being the Hollywood kind of guy, you know, running around saying, I landed on the moon and making a lot of money from it. But Armstrong didn't do that. Right. He went. He was a professor at the University of Cincinnati for the rest of his life and lived in seclusion. Well, it was right around that time after the landing. In the that, suburb of Cincinnati. Right. And that's, uh, the, right. And that's around the time that Kubrick became a shut-in. So Kubrick ends up staying in London and doesn't want to ever leave. So like something happened. Kubrick, that, yeah, these guys. Right. I, I agree. And when you say Kubrick became a shut-in, like he took it to a new level though. He built a moat. Yeah. <laughs> he built He's a moat around his house. Didn't come back to the U S didn't want to come back to the U S all kinds of weird stuff about that. I know, but I'm, I'm excellent. I'm an expert in security, but I've never once considered building a moat around my own home. Yeah, the whole thing is really weird, and that's probably why they, you know, did that guy in was because it was assigned uh, everybody else. You know, we can off you. You better go along with us. We're all Masons. Or yeah, I mean, I think again, Kubrick was was in the club. I think to a certain extent. Yeah, you know, I think so. I think there's varying degrees of being in the club, obviously, and it's a spectrum, and he's in the club to a certain extent, and he had a certain knowledge of some activities and may have thought some things were going one way, and he found out they were going a different, and, you know, and uh, because I think a lot of what he did later in his career there with with The Shining was, you know, there's a great, there's a great theory that uh, a lot of these uh, ideas encoded in The Shining that, that he faked the moon mission. Right. There's like uh, Are you familiar with that, the, yeah, that the sweater, the sweater on the little kid. This is a Apollo. He's wearing the Apollo and Moon sweater, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's all in there. And then you he finalizes his career with Eyes Wide Shut, which is totally Masonic occult stuff. And I think a lot of the Eyes Wide Shut stuff, he is stuff that he may have experienced himself in New York City. Right. That makes sense. Because he's not from that, he wasn't necessarily from that the club he got introduced into the club when that's kind of how Yeah. Through Art Clark. Clark. Right. It's a, and it's kind of, kind of autobiographical of sorts. I would say so. I mean, I, I think the themes are there. And Ziegler, what? His name is Bricklayer in German. Like, I mean, it's all Masonic. Oh, very much. Very much so. And, I, and again, I, I think he was Masonic. I don't know that for a fact. I, but I, he's got a lot of Masonic ideas in a lot of his films and whatnot. So I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, no, it's really a room. If you look at the real history, the occulted history, it's the true history, not this... Uh, kind of nonsense that we actually made it to the moon and then you throw in the, the magic how do they they timed it to make sure the first moon landing was the apollo 11 i mean it's just off the charts so you got the number of magic you throw that into the 11 foot tall you know uh ashlar monolith in apollo in 2001 then you throw in 
the first flight of the 11 and 2001 so-called terrorist attack. And you just see the real undergirding of this uh, occultism, Western esotericism. It's all sure. Yeah. yeah. The occult, I think, yeah, you know, you're right. The occult undertones that are erupting to the surface. I think you're spot on because, you know, years after the, what you, the events you just stated in the 60s, Buzz Aldrin's selling a, a, a story that there's an obelisk on, on Mars, on the moon of Mars. So, you know, they're still selling the same ideas. He's the Apollo 11 astronauts, the same people, you know, you know, decades subsequent to the events. And I, you know, I don't know why they do it necessarily. I mean, I don't know what, what motivates these people to do these things, but, you know, clearly what they're doing is, is, is deception. But that's the root of their, their philosophies, right? I right. mean, Thelema's philosophy is, and most of these other magicians are, are chaos and, and, and right. deception, right? Right. And I do think that uh, Clark and Kubrick were pretty dark when they threw in the monolith in 2001 and made it an evolutionary thing. So they're actually pushing evolution as this occult evolution. And I mean, it gets super deep. Like that means, I mean, it, it kind of intimates that evolution itself is a cult and occulted idea which is really dark right and it's actually kind of interesting because it ties in i was watching chinatown and they have the first depiction of a smiley face killing death a water death of somebody drowned in water moved and then houston says you know uh this guy said that that pool is really where life started it's the most incredible and that that uh that's that screenplay for Chinatown won Academy Award. But go back and watch Chinatown, and you'll see the SFK, and then the guy, Houston, this kind of dark character who's probably involved with people around, the Black Dahlia killing and all this stuff, says, oh, yeah, you know, evolution's incredible. It really is evolution. That's where we started. So you see them pushing that. It's pretty fascinating. Oh, yeah, that's a great movie. Uh, Mulroy was the character, the water guy, yes. the water engineer for the city, right. was the guy that was killed. Yeah, it's a, and you're right, that is. They killed him in one body of water, and Dumped him into different and try yeah. to make it look like he drowned. Right, and that was the key. That was the key of Nicholson's character. Is like, he, oh, I figured it out. You know, that's a very that's a very interesting movie though because if you look at the people involved in it, it's a Polanski film starring Jack Nicholson and uh, directed by Bob Evans. And all of these people are of the same. Again, I'll use the word milieu or ilk. The same, the same yeah. occult um, organizations or groups of the rest of these telemite science fiction writers you know, the same occulted groups of the Nazis, et cetera. And, you know, most of these groups, all they all have a, their starts with um, Madame Blavatsky's um, Theosophical Society in the 1800, you know, mid to late 1800s. So they all, they all have similar, similar theologies as a result of that. And you see that you're right. And it's there. And so you see the pedophilia, the incest, the same themes in Chinatown, eyes wide shut. It's really dark. It's probably the absolutely most yeah, and stuff major imaginable. Anyway, what I mean, point, so that's what Chinatown's maybe what seventy one or seventy two, maybe. Yes, seventy two. So after, it's, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it, in reference to Chinatown. Yeah, and then Polanski's what maybe seventy six. He's run out of the country under under felony charges for raping a child. Yeah, but get this. You know, when he moved to France, he's doing the same thing in France. There's all these. Oh, girls no and kids have been victimized. No doubt. Yeah, I mean, the only reason he didn't, that, well, I mean, he got brought up on charges, but Jack Nicholson and Bob Evans, the producer of Chinatown, the star of Chinatown, they're the ones credited with trying to clean up the mess and, and, and divert the cops. That's on record. I mean, it's so all the, it was actually right, on, so it was wasn't that. The rape allegedly occurred on Jack Nicholson's couch. 
no, get this. So I think that Polanski was at Nicholson's house, and Nicholson's girlfriend was Houston's daughter. Oh, I did not know that. But yeah, yeah right. so they Angelica were, they were Houston. House. Right, so Angelica Houston's with Nicholson. I mean, it's it gets it becomes truth as fiction. Fiction is truth. Like whoa, absolutely. And and these same characters circling back to McGowan in the 1960s, they're all intertwined in his work. Whether you know, primarily the weird scenes inside the canyon work, right. but you know, again, the 1960s are kind of all the same subject to a certain extent. And yeah, uh, I mean, Polanski, he, obviously, um, owning the house that, that and, uh, his fiance was murdered, and allegedly in the Manson family murders. And then Jack Nicholson was a actor in, in Hollywood and, and hung out with uh, Jimmy Hendrix, his best friend, Jimmy Hendrix, and uh, I think Peter Tork, one of, one of the monkeys, at least. They were often right. hanging out in Little Canyon, you know, and Bob Evans, he's involved, he's adjacent to the Son of Sam business. Right, so he's in the Cotton Club murders, and I learned from McGowan that uh, Crosby was a Van Cortland, and some of these things, dark things, happen in Van Cortland Park. I mean, it's off no. the charts. Oh, absolutely. And, so. and well, I mean, in regards to Son of Sam, and, and again, Bob Evans was deeply. I mean, he was he was deeply involved in the whole situation. I mean, he was the per, trying to produce that film in with Roy Radin, who was the victim who was murdered. Right, and and but Evans really. He kind of skirted everything there. There was never any charges. He was never really questioned. It seemed he kind of just, you know, kind of just drifted off to the side and no one really talks about him there. And, uh, you know, he was a major Hollywood producer at the time. And, and uh, I, I really question that. But again, that's whole, the whole Son of Sam business is deeply ingrained in, in Thelema, Thelema belief systems. True. So it's definitely there. There's 11s, occult, uh, October 12th. There's just a lot of pretty sketchy things out there oh, I and think they really this, haven't some of the sigils they use are straight out of Philema, right right well that one sigil that they used was out of elephant studies is a black like magic the main, the main son of sam sigil yeah so that yeah that's very important it's, it's rare it was so a, back it was in those a, days it was a telemite, correct right yeah well i think it was adopted possibly by the thelemites but it was pre-thelema it was definitely elephant levy i got you but I mean, some of that stuff got integrated. I never saw Crowley use that back black magic insignia, but um, he thought he was the, re the reincarnation of Levy, so maybe that's his connection. But yeah, oh, you know, it I gets, didn't know it, that. Did yeah, he, that's yeah. what he thought. That was no, no, Crowley thought he was wow. the resurrection well, of Elephant. I think, and I think a lot of, and I think a lot of it is that's that's interesting. That's really interesting. I think a lot of what I look at Crowley is he just he took a lot of the ideas and, and put them together, right? You kind of just mashed them. Oh, all no together question. Various, no question. Various occult things. Yeah, no. So, question and, that he and as a result of that, people have kind of done that in the aftermath, right? So, people have then taken those ideas and, and then readapted it into their new organizations, be it the Process Church or the Final Judgment. Right. Yeah, no question. Yeah, so I mean, if Which you read enough, stuff, unfortunately, same stuff. And you just see that that strain, that current, the occultists would call it a current, uh, is there. And it goes back 100 years or hundreds of years. And it gets pretty sure. dark. Like, oh, man. Yeah. No, there's, I mean, that's a whole nother show. But uh, I've oh, learned absolutely. a lot. Well, I'll leave you with one note referencing all that that subject, though, regarding some of the thelemic activity surrounding some of the same, even is the other park that was used besides Van Cortland. One of their primary ritual locations was um, Untermeyer Park. Right. Which uh, 
That was actually formerly owned by a man named Samuel Tilden, who was actually elected president in 1876 and was part of the deal that the South gave, said, we'll, we'll let the North, you know, we'll give up the presidency of the North removes all the federal troops from the South that were under, you know, under um, martial law for 12 years by that point. So following the Civil War. So, but Samuel Tilden, much like the rest of these people in that same group of the presidents and, um, uh, you know, members of um, a few different secret societies that seem to venerate these these mounds. That was a mound part. That was that location um, of his property had a lot of mounds on it. Ancient Indian burial mounds is the common name, obviously. Right. I mean, it gets really dark. Yeah, Untermeyer. I mean, if you look at the history of Untermeyer, he's a he was a big time player and uh, the attorney, Reserve attorney. Standard Oil. What's that? He was the federal Federal Reserve attorney. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, very, very, very wealthy, but also a very dark character. Well, so you but can did, see why the occult district attracted to it. I'm sure if you knew this, the Federal Reserve was also started on a mound in a ritual in, in South Carolina, or I'm sorry, Georgia. I'm surprised. What Jekyll Island or whatever. Yeah, the, the rock. Yeah, the Rockefeller House on Jekyll Island is built on a mound. You can go on Wikipedia and read about it. You know, it's it's it, you know people don't connect these things. I again, I don't know what these the occult understandings or belief systems are regarding these locations and sites, but it's there. You know, it's an it's an it's an Untermyer Park. It's relative to all the presidents. You know, it's it's relative to a few of these secret societies. Right. Is there anything you'd like to add before we wrap you know, it even up? Even ones that exist today in in the public, for example, the International Order of Odd Fellows. Uh, I just think that, that uh, yeah, I think I'd like to appreciate your time. I'd like to thank you for your time on discussing this. And I think that a lot of these, these occult understandings of these ideas seem foreign to, to even probably us in some regards. But, you know, generally speaking, it's foreign to our society because they, the, the quote unquote magic involved. It's right. the same magic that these people claim to be magicians and deceive people by selling the moon, the fake moon missions by a, an elaborate Hollywood scheme and you know, a very serious propaganda campaign. And when I say very serious, I mean this, and that is, this is my, I'll leave you with this note, the Joseph Goebbels, the Nazis, you know, NASA, the Nazis, the, the top NASA, or I'm sorry, the top Nazi uh, uh, propagandist was Joseph Goebbels. Right. And Joseph Goebbels' own private secretary who spoke with him every day, who worked at in his office, had no idea what was going on. And I don't say that to believe any written statements you can see the lady doing YouTube videos at the age of, I think, nearly 100. And she you could see in her face how shocked she was to learn what was actually going on amongst the Nazi party. And it may seem like a foreign idea, but look what's going on today with the Democratic right. Party, the Democratic National Committee, and some of their activities intertwined with CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. People don't know it. People even in the inside don't necessarily know it. It's a need-to-know basis for compartmentalized and no different than things like this, the moon mission, which is why we don't know stuff today. Right. Yeah. So, JJ, again, Balibus, what's your uh, – people want to reach out to you. What's your social media or email? Uh, folks uh, can reach out to me at uh, Operation GCD at uh, at Operation GCD on Twitter or Operation GCD.com. And that's uh, garbage can dude GCD. Gotcha. 
And also, if people are interested, all my documentaries are back up on Vimeo. You can just go to William Ramsey and you can get all my books at WilliamRamseyInvestigates.com. Also, if you like the show, if you like the William Ramsey Investigates, please uh, think about going to iTunes, give me a five-star review. I just got ranked at the top 1.5% most listened to podcasts in the world. So, no, I good. You should. I mean, you have an excellent podcast. I mean, I I remember I remember discovering your podcast years ago, and and I mean, become a fan. Cool, man. Well, I'm a fan of yours as well. So let's keep in touch. And if people want to follow uh, JJ and I, we are going to read Isaac Asimov's The Foundation, August 20th. So we'll discuss that, uh, and we'd be happy to have anybody join. So looking forward to talking to you about that, JJ. Take oh. Care. I- Excellent. Thanks again, William Ramsey. Cheers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.